0: Well, amen, Bethel. How we doing? Good. Oh man, y'all are perky this morning. Amen to that. Uh, man, I am I am incredibly excited to be here with you all this morning. My name is Daniel Ritchie. Um, I'm an evangelist from Raleigh, North Carolina. And le- and let me just say this, y'all. Like, first and foremost, thank you for being here this morning because it, you know we're on the street. There's some big game uh, up in Indianapolis tomorrow night, and uh, and, and I got a feeling. There's a couple of Tide fans in the room, just just a couple. Um, so so you could be you could be up north right now, but you're here, man. You're 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 together. You're gathered with God's people, and man, I I, I greatly appreciate that. I know in our household, uh, I have a nine-year-old boy that's a Crimson Tide fan. I'm praying for his salvation. Um, you know, I'm like I've, I've I've been trying to like reason with him. I'm like, son, this is like rooting for Darth Vader. You know, like yeah, sure, he's He's built a great empire, but it's like him. You want to hit your wagon to to that dude, the bringer of death and destruction? Like, come on, man. Uh, but you know he's he's tried and true. Like he's he he loves his tide. So uh, tomorrow night we will we will sit in our living room and with gritted teeth I will say roll roll tide. Um. So so uh, man, uh, I'm I'm with y'all in, in that wagon. But y'all this morning. Man, what I want to do is I do want to spend some some time in God's Word, and and in a moment we'll uh, we'll dive into Philippians chapter three. And so if you guys did open your Bibles a few moments ago, if you want to start turning there, um, you are you are more than welcome to. Um, but before we get there, like uh, I'll I'll be the first person to acknowledge it's like. Anytime I get around a group of people that, that I've never met before, um, the, the armless elephant always kind of like lingers in the middle of the room, you know? Because it's like people, people always have questions and, and they always assume, I, I think the worst about me and how I got in this situation. Like a couple years ago, I was in the Denver airport. I was getting on an airplane and, uh, and as we're boarding this guy right beside me, he's just very intently... Staring at my empty sleeves, and um, and and y'all, my native language is sarcasm, and uh, and so, um, I'm, I'm about to clap back at my man and and say something really snarky, and before I could do anything, he goes, "Was it a bear?" And, and like, y'all, I try to assume the best in people, you know, and I'm like, "No, you didn't. He didn't say that, really? Did he? Did Did he?" He said that, huh? And I, I went, was it a what? And he was like, was it a bear? The arms was was it a bear? And I'm like, bro, are you telling me I met the pickiest bear in the woods? Like he could have, he could have had all of me, but he just went, you know what? I'm just gonna take his arms. Like I don't I don't need his head or the squishy middle part. I just I need some people arms this morning. Like, you telling me I met the pickiest bear in the woods? And he was like, no and then i, I kind of proceeded to call this man a moron and then we get on the plane and i'm starting to feel I'm starting to feel bad you know that i called another human being a moron and so god in his judgment uh puts me on the middle seat on, on my row which 10 minutes into the flight the two very large and burly men that are flanking me realize they get a bonus armrest and uh and so I now have to snuggle two really large men that I don't know uh from Denver to charlotte north carolina and uh and finally, we get there. And, uh, and plane lands, and, and the guy called a moron, uh, of course, he sat in first class, and, uh, and so he got off the plane way before I did, and so I, I finally get off the plane, and this dude's way in front of me, and so I just start sprinting through the Charlotte airport as fast as I could, and now like y'all with your nice built-in arms, um, it's easy to get somebody's attention with a gentle little tap on the back, you know, it's like, hey, excuse me, sir, uh, But but for me... I don't have that built-in uh, ability, and so as gently as you could headbutt another human being, I, um, I, I nudge my new friend, and he, and he turns around, fists her up, because it's like somebody just headbutted him, and I'm like, don't hit me, I'm unarmed, and, uh, and you know, he's like, ha, ha, ha. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a disarming situation, um, y'all. I got armless jokes for days, uh, but I'll I'll stop. Uh, but you know, we get in this conversation and um and, and so he he looks at me, I look at him, and I'm like, I'm sorry I called you a moron. And he's like, I'm sorry, I thought a bear ate your arms, you know, like we had a we had a little moment. But then he was like, All right, so so tell me what happened. And so I get to share with this guy just the fact that, you know, this is just how I was born. Um man, this is all I've ever known. Um but then it 's like this this conversation starts to evolve and um and, and so he's he's asking like follow up questions like well how'd you get through it? how'd you manage it how'd you deal with it and it 's like this little apology conversation turns into a thirty minute gospel conversation right there in the middle of, of Charlotte Douglas International Airport, all because uh, of of how god has has fearfully and wonderfully made me. And now it's like in in the world's terms, like this this equipment I came with this is this is a definite uh, negative, this is a definite loss. And and you know it's like would would my life be easier if I had you know those those nice things like thumbs and fingers and a wrist? Absolutely. Like y'all try to go go home today if you really want to like um, just just. Put yourself through, through toil and trial. Uh, go home. Try to write your name uh, with, with your toes and uh, and and see how that goes. Because it's just like feet were not meant to to hold a pen in between your toes and write. Feet were not meant to, um, you know, be the principal way that you type on a keyboard and use a mouse. Feet were not meant, um, you know, in in this world that we live in that's made. For people with arms, by people with arms. Feet were not meant to, to open these doors with the, the hydraulic door closers on them. You know, it's like there, there's so many things that it's just like my life certainly would be far less complicated um, with arms than without. But it's like for, for me, y'all, like by God's grace... I think so many of the things that doctors told me that I would never do, God in his kindness has allowed me to do, um, you know, from, from writing to um, just doing normal everyday things around the house, laundry, dishes. I, I cook, but I'm probably like most men in this room. I cook poorly, I cook mac and cheese, and I burn stuff on a grill. Like, that's, a, that's, about, that's about all I can do around the house when it, when it comes to stuff like that. Um, but, but for me, even though I've lived a life that I think looks a lot like everybody else's, you know, I, I grew up, I think stacking up what in my eyes was a loss and a negative and stacking up in, in my eyes, what, what was a positive, what was a win, what was a sign of hope. And I remember sitting there as a 15 year old and I'm comparing my life. So everybody else's life that was around me, everybody else with their two arms and their ten fingers. And I remember even though I I had gone through church, I had two kind and loving parents that took me to church that that shared with me the, the, the hope of the gospel and the love of Christ in my life. Just as I looked around as I compared my life to everyone else's, I thought, well, why doesn't God love me like he loves you? Why do I have to sit down at my high school cafeteria and I'm the only person that has to eat a piece of pizza with his toes? Why am I the only person that, that when I go into a grocery store that everybody is like stopping and staring and pointing? Why is it that, that even for me now as a 37-year-old man, I, I, I take my wife out on a date and as i sit there and as i cut up my steak from behind me i i can hear that very distinct iphone camera click you know somebody snapping a picture of of me out on a date with my wife just trying to live my life but somebody else wants to wants to text it to their homies to their friends and be like yo check this guy out i sat there as a teenager and go god why is my life like this God, why do I have to walk in a fishbowl? God, why is everything so hard? God, why can't I just be like everybody else? I was viewing God's love and God's kindness and God's grace towards me on my terms. But man, as a as a 15-year-old, God used a just, in, in only a way that God can bring someone to Christ, God used a dodgeball lock-in um, uh, of all things to, to bring me to Christ. Now, listen, armless people are good at a lot of things. Dodgeball is not one of them. You know, like we can't throw, we can't catch, we're a pinata. Uh, you know, like that, that's kind of how dodgeball goes for us. And so it was a night of misery. But then towards the end of the night, I'm just sitting out. I'm, I'm off in the bleachers. And, and the student pastor of, of this church, he comes up to me and he starts to talk to me. And it's just small talk. Hey, man, tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me about where you go to school, what you do. And in the midst of this conversation, I think he could sense just the heaviness on my own heart. And he asked me, you don't like your life, do you? I'm like, no, dude. No, there's nothing good about this. There, there's, there's no way that God loves me. There's no way that God can use me. Like, bro, what's, what's even the point? How does God love a life like me when the rest of the world looks at me and they just see me as broken, as hopeless, as just a picture of everything that no one else wants to be? And this man sits with me for more than an hour and he lays out God's love for me that's laid out in Scripture. From Psalm 139 that God fearfully and wonderfully made me, even when I was still in my mother's womb, that God did not make a mistake when he crafted me in my mother's womb, that God formed and fashioned me to show his works in the world. But God also shows his love for me, that as I sat in that gym that night, I questioned everything about God. What God did is he sent his best, he sent his one and only son, to take on flesh, to live a perfect life that I cannot possibly live, to die a death that I most certainly should die as someone who is a sinner and who is a rebel and who is disobedient to the commands of God. And God raises Christ to life to show his power over both sin and death and to all who trust in him and rest in him. He adopts them into the family of God and then he sends them out on the mission of God. This man spends more than an hour laying out for me God's pursuit of me through his word and through his gospel. And y'all, that night changed my life. That night for me to trust in and rest in, not only like Jesus is my savior, like not just resting in Jesus as a get me out of hell card, but for me to build my life on the person and work of Christ, for me to find my value, my hope, my strength, my purpose, my everything in the person and work of Christ changed everything about it. And y'all, for some of us in this sanctuary this morning, much of the same might be, be able to be said of you. Like you look at your life right now, and it, and it feels like it's more defined by loss losses than wins. You look at the things around you, and and you see just just a void of grace. But this morning, what I want us to see as we look in the book of Philippians is we look in what many biblical scholars call the book of joy. I pray that for us, as as we read through God's word, that we would be encouraged that for so many things that we count as loss, what we have in Christ is so much greater of a gain. So if you would read with me, Philippians chapter 3, we'll read verses 8 through 14. In God's word, it says this. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him, the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death. That by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or that I'm perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father. I do just pray that in these next few moments, as we look at your word, as we look at your challenge towards us, your grace towards us, that, Father, we would be faithful to look at grace and to not look at the loss and brokenness of this world to define us. Father, this morning, work through your word. May your spirit mold and shape. May your spirit break hard hearts. All in your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So just a few things that I want us to see from from this scripture this morning. And then then the first thing I I want us to see is this, and it's not exactly a a sunshine and rainbows point, uh, but but the first thing is this, is we're bound to lose in this life that you and I, we, we are bound to lose. You see Paul, he says right there in verse eight, he says, I count all things as loss because of the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord. And he says, for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things like y'all if if we're to dip into church history If we're if we're to dip into what we see in the book of acts I mean if if we're completely honest the worst earthly thing that ever happened to paul was meeting jesus on the road to damascus The worst earthly thing possible Was that moment because honestly like before christ paul had everything before christ paul had wealth before Christ Paul had power before Christ Paul's name was known and it was feared and then the moment that he met Jesus on the road to Damascus that all went away his relationships his job his power his wealth it all evaporated and yet in the in the wake of that like Christ himself calls Paul and he says listen you're going to take my gospel to the Gentiles, you're going to build my church. You're going to be like the 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 OG church planner, and 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 Paul does, and God does amazing things through Paul. But it's not just all happiness and goodness. Like in the midst of Paul being faithful to the call that God had put on his life, there's just unending and unrelenting trial. Like Paul lays it out in his his letter to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter eleven. Verses 23 through 29, Paul lays out all the things that have happened to him just because of following Christ, just because of of being a minister to the gospel. And he says this, are they not all servants of Christ? He's talking about people who are are questioning his apostleship, questioning, um, I, I think in a lot of ways, his heart. Paul says, listen, I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far greater imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times at the hands of the Jews I received 40 lashes less one. 3 times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. 3 times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, danger from false brothers and toil and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from these things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches, who's weak, and I am not weak. Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant. Like he, he's saying here, he's like, guys, I, I, I've I've been through it. I have suffered. I I have. I mean, Paul multiple times was near death. Paul multiple times loses his freedom, all because of the gospel that he proclaims. All because of the Jesus that he would follow. And yet in verse 8, what does he say? He says, I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And then in, earlier in the verse, he says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord. Paul can look at all of the things that he's sustained in his life and he says, you know what, at the end of the day, it's worth it. It's worth it. I don't, I don't push that loss to the side. He says, you know, he's listing it out to the Corinthians. He's counting it here in Philippians chapter 3. Listen, for some of us in here in this room, we've been through some things. Even in the past 24 months, maybe our life has been more characterized by loss than it has been by gain. I think one of the most faithful things we can do is not just sweep it under the rug. Not just ignore it, not just act like it's not there. But to count it, to look and to see of the things that the the earthly things that we have lost. The earthly things that, that, that have fallen away, the sufferings that we have endured. Because, y'all, for for us, I think one of the most important things that we have to do in discipleship is to do just that. Like, I think for so much in the American church, we think following Jesus is just nothing but, like, sunshine and rainbows. And I don't know why. There's, There's, like, this cultural... Maybe misconception that the moment you chase after Jesus is the moment that the trials stop happening It's the moment that everything starts going right and that's not the case. Jesus says in John 16 I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace in the world. You will have tribulation But take heart. I've overcome the world like Jesus is reminding us that in following him. We're gonna have trouble I mean, one of the reasons Jesus says, like, to be a disciple is to take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Now, remember, when Jesus says that, like, Jesus has not himself gone to the cross yet. Like, when he's drawing the picture for the disciples of taking up your cross, it's it's not like, it's not the cross in a a baptismal. It's not the cross that sits on top of a church steeple. When Jesus commands this, when Jesus is calling his disciples to take up your cross, they're picturing criminals. They're picturing men that are, that are being murdered for their crimes. They are, they are picturing agonizing pain and hurt. And Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you're going to do that. You're going to suffer you're, to, to follow me, there's a cost, but to follow me, and the, and the second thing that I want us to see this morning is this, that to follow Jesus, I mean, truthfully, it's, it's our greatest win. The second thing I want us to see this morning from this scripture is our biggest win is our biggest gift. Our biggest win is our biggest gift, just as much as we see brokenness and hurt in this world. I think for us, it's also to realize that we have a God that is not distant. We have a God that is not cold, but rather he is with us. He is for us. He is walking beside us. He is picking us up out of the muck and the mire. And he says, I love you. I haven't left you. I'm with you. I have a plan for you. And I desire to use you as a part of my kingdom and to show my gospel message to all the world. That's why Paul says at the very end of verse 8, going into verse 9, he says, I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. It's always amazing to me. It's like this time of year, people, you'll you'll see the the new year, new me type resolution thing starting popping up on social media. And how many people are saying, man, I'm going to go out and I'm going to find myself. I'm going to find the new me. And isn't interesting that, that Paul, when he's looking across the landscape of his life, he's not finding himself in the fact that he's planted all of these churches. He's not finding himself in the fact that he pens the vast majority of the New Testament that we know today. He doesn't find himself in, in these life-changing sermons that he's preached. He just simply says, i found myself in Christ and in Christ alone. He's my worth. He's my value, he's my hope, he's my everything. And and, and for us here, Paul lays out almost like the timeline of of the Christian life, that first and foremost, that we'll be found in him, not having a righteousness of, of our own, that we would be justified by trusting in and resting in Christ as king that we would look at him as our savior and as our lord and as our everything that we would leave behind the old way of life we would leave behind the old man we would follow after Christ in the new life that he has won for us in both his death and resurrection that being credited with his righteousness would bring about a new way that we live in order that we may as Paul goes on to say that we may know him thing is so interesting here in, um, in, in verse, uh, as, as you go into verse 10, he says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. When Paul's saying there that, that I may know him, like, Paul already knows who Jesus is. It's not like he, he just suddenly, this, this is like some some random introduction. But Paul is saying, I, w- I want to know him. Like, if you could put a word in, in all caps. He's like, I, I want to know who Jesus is. I just don't want to be like some sort of social media follower, like, like I get little selected tidbits of coming to know who Jesus is. But Paul's saying here, I want to know everything about him. I want to know his power, I want to know his resurrection, I want to know his sufferings, I want to know it all. I want to know my Lord is my everything. And, and again, Paul is laying out this timeline for us in the Christian faith that that from the moment that we trust Jesus as Lord, we spend the rest of our life coming to know the one that we've trusted our life to. And it never stops. Day in and day out, we come to know more fully the grace, the love, the hope, the call, the work of God in our life. And it never stops. Because for us, as he goes on to say in verse 11, that by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So Paul lays out justification, trusting and resting in Jesus is our everything. Sanctification, knowing Jesus, following Jesus. And that at the very end of the timeline of the Christian faith is our glorification. is the moment that we see Jesus face to face. And for us, like y'all, that's when, when, when Christians, when believers, when we say the best is yet to come, that's it. When we say the best is yet to come, it's not going to come in this life. Like we're still going to know hurt. We're still going to know insecurity. We're still going to fail. We're still going to sin. But one day, and as Paul says earlier on in his letter to the Philippians, he says this in Philippians 121, for to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. For to me, my life, everything about it is gonna be built upon and aimed at the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the moment I pass from this life to the next, I get to see the one that I've lived my whole life for in the first place. And I get to worship. And I get to sing worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And we get to look forward to that. But until that day, church, let's aim our heart at knowing him more. Let's aim our heart at preaching the good gospel message to ourselves. Because Paul... Again, he doubles down on this whole gospel thing, 1 Corinthians 15, it's the reminder the gospel is truthfully, it is in which we are saved, but the gospel is in which we also stand. And if we look at what Jesus has done for us is the greatest news that our lives have ever known, we can't stop preaching that to ourselves. Because the world is not going to stop preaching bad news to you. The world is not going to stop letting you know how much you've failed, how many things you don't do right, like y'all for me, I trusted in and rested in Christ as a fifteen year old and I was honestly sort of surprised I woke up the next morning and and I was still armless I was like what like it didn't i didn't get the upgrade like what What's going on, Lord? And, and for me, like my, my circumstances in life did not change the moment that I trusted and rested in Jesus as my everything. But how I dealt with my circumstances, they changed drastically. Because my hope is not in floppy sleeves. My hope is not in people's opinion of me. My hope is in the pronounced love that Jesus proclaims over me. Because y'all, there's still hard days for me. Even as a, as, as a guy who now I've been a believer for 21 years I've preached the gospel for more than two decades and I think that even in the midst of that like I still have incredibly tough days. I still have days where I have a little nine-year-old boy that, that loves Crimson Tide football and that you know right after he, he watches Bryce Young tear somebody up and he wants to go out in the backyard and reenact all the plays that, that he saw if he had any other dad he could go in the backyard and play catch but because I'm his dad he doesn't get to do that or to think that I have a six-year-old little girl that loves her daddy so incredibly much and I think that one day I'll by God's grace I will walk my little girl down the aisle and give her away to be married but when I do that I'm I'm not gonna be able to, to hold my little girl's hand or to think when she falls down and skins her knee any other dad can pick his little girl up and hold her tight and love on her and tell her it's going to be okay. And I don't don't, don't get to do that. And there's times when, when because of my circumstances, I don't feel like I'm good enough. Even this many years post trusting in Jesus is my everything. And that's why for us, we have to faithfully preach the gospel and apply the gospel to our hearts and our lives day in and day out because the bad news does not stop. The losses don't stop coming, but the good news of Christ doesn't relent either. And so for us, we have to faithfully go back to that and to realize that the gospel is not ground-level Christianity. The gospel is in which I, I am saved and in which I live and in which I stand. So finally, church, this morning, the last thing I want us to see is this, is that we need to chase Jesus with all we have. We need to chase Jesus with all we have in, the, in these last few verses that we read. Paul saying, listen, I haven't obtained it. I'm not perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brother, I don't consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, I forget what lies behind. And I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I think it's wild that here is the guy that it's like he single-handedly penned the vast majority of the New Testament. He is such a pinnacle figure of the New Testament. And yet, even in the midst of all of that, he can say, listen, I haven't made it. I'm not perfect. I'm not finding myself in the things that I've done. Because, like, here's the thing when Paul's saying, like, forget everything that lies behind, Paul's, Paul's not saying just forget every single little thing that you've ever done. He's not saying don't forget the graces of God in your life. He's saying don't, don't forget the, the, the lessons that you've learned from your failings and your weaknesses. Paul's not saying to scrub that, but Paul's saying don't find yourself in that. And a lot of us in here, we define our lives by either what we have done, good or bad. Maybe some of us, we find ourselves in the sins that have been committed against us, the sins that we ourselves have committed. Some some of ourselves, we we find ourselves in, in accolades, in our job, in the square footage of our house, in what sort of vehicle we drive, what vacation we go on. Paul's saying, yeah, you can forget all of that. Lay all that to the side. But in view of the grace, in view of the lessons, in view of the promises of God, I want you to press forward, to not stop, to chase after Jesus with everything that you have, that you may know him more fully and that you may proclaim him to every single person that you meet along the way. Because church, that's the point. Like for all of us in this room, it doesn't matter if you're 15 or if you're 85, God's not done with you. It doesn't matter if you're sitting here in this room and you're not a believer or if you're sitting here in this room and you've been a Christian for every conceivable memory that you ever have in your life, God's not done with you. And for us to realize that God in his grace has formed and fashioned you to show the world more of him. Like Genesis 127, we see this inner Trinitarian conversation go on. And the Trinity says, as they get ready to form and fashion Adam, they says, let us make man in our image. Let us make each and every person in this room in our image that we may show our glory, that we may show the world more of who God is. That's your sole purpose in this life. And it is for you to realize that every square inch of what you have in your life is to display more of him. And that doesn't just mean your Sundays that you're here on this property. But truthfully, your act of worship occurs when you walk out of these double doors in the next 10 minutes. Your worship comes when you step into your family, when you step into your home, when you step into your workplace, when you step into your school. That's your opportunity to make more of Jesus known to the world. And y'all, those opportunities they come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. Those opportunities, they're they're always there if we're just willing. You know, last month, man, I got I got my best Christmas gift in the world. My my six year old little girl trusted Jesus as her Lord. Just one night, we we're we we're having a little family devotion, and she's like, she described it. She said, my heart just leapt out of my chest, and I was like, I want this, and I'm like. All right girl let's do it and uh and so you know that night she trusted Jesus as her Lord, and I was such a such a proud little daddy we've We've been trying to plant gospel seeds in her heart for months and months now. And it was so wild that, also last month, she she walked in her first little parade. She was in a, uh, she's in like this ballet group, and uh, and so they didn't dance or anything in the parade. They literally just walked and waved. And um, and as they were getting ready to do this, my little six-year-old girl, she's sitting there and she's she's stretching, you know, doing doing the whole ballet thing. And she sees there's a there's an older girl in in her ballet group, a nine-year-old that she's crying. And, and she's just this. I guess come to find out, this little nine-year-old girl's just really scared that all of these people are gonna watch her as she walks through this this parade. And my little six-year-old girl, she looks at her and she goes, "Listen, sometimes I get scared." Or sometimes my daddy gets scared. She was like, "My daddy, he 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 travels all around and he tells people about Jesus and and he's been doing that for a really long time." But you know what? Every time my daddy gets up, he almost feels like he's gonna throw up. And I'm like, "Thanks, babe. Like, boy <laughs> <laughs> appreciate that. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I mean, it is true. It's it's like, you know, I I had I had inscribed that little lesson on, on my little girl's heart just just a month or so before." Like, she was feeling scared, and she was feeling like she couldn't do something. I was like, baby, ask me when I preach. Like, baby, I hate people. Like, I just, I don't like human beings, you know? And, uh, and I, get, I get anxious. I get scared every time. But, baby, you know what? The opportunity to spread God's, God's gospel and to share God's word is a whole lot more important than my fear. And you know what? Jesus is big enough that he can take my fear and he can give me his strength. And that little seed that was planted all those months ago was a little seed that bloomed in a conversation with a girl that was a lot lot older than she was. But in a little girl that needed the hope of the gospel applied to her life. Now, for a lot of us in here, we have a lot of gospel seed that's been sown into our life. And, and and the most selfish thing that we can do as a Christian is to hoard it. The most selfish thing that we can do as believers is to have the greatest news the world has ever known and to think it's just our news. Because it's not. The greatest news the world has ever known in the gospel of Jesus Christ is worth getting out there. It's worth me being uncomfortable for. It's worth the cost of relationships. It's worth the cost of my own name to be found in him and for the world to be found in him. It's our greatest hope and it's our greatest call. So for us, we don't stop chasing that. For us as his church, our worship starts in 15 minutes. Our worship starts when everything here goes dark. And I pray that that's true of you. That as we leave this place, that we would be found in Christ, seeking to know him more and making him known more without excuse. That's why God's put you on this planet. Let's pray. Father.